Today's episode of The Glue Guys is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. On this episode of The Glue Guys, another two-parter in part of our long-running series to assess which third star the Nets could acquire this offseason. This is part one of another two-parter, and this series is now just focusing on most realistic trade targets that are out there, Brian. That's true. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Oh, oh, flat. Oh, Beyond no. flat, Mike. That's not. It's not going to be acceptable. That's fine. Um, you could hear it. You could hear it not coming through all the way. <laughs> I had all week to prepare, Mike. Um, if you want to review that hello, go to iTunes. Five stars. No, no. You want to... no, not the hello. If, if you have stuck around with us to the end of our episodes, you will often hear that we do the most important stuff at the very end, which is like when you're trying to do a podcast, a really important thing is iTunes reviews. You want to get iTunes reviews. You want to get five stars. It gets you up the charts, whatever. I don't even terms. know if that's true. I, 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 I have very little data on these, on the, on how valuable these, they make us feel good. So that's the real data point. That's the most important data. And we, and and we do like hearing from you all. So yes, five stars. We need them. We want them. We have to have them. Um, Also. So theathletic.com, there's a 90 day free trial that, you know, we get credit for when I say, Hey, 40% off for an annual subscription. You can go to theathletic.com slash glue guys. You get 40% off for the whole year. But I'm not getting credit to giving you the free 90-day trial. But just if you Google 90-day free trial, The Athletic, you can get free 90 days. It's like just dive in, have a bunch of fun. Not only is there NFL draft stuff, there's going to be NBA draft stuff. There still kind of really is. Um, and again, when basketball comes back, which may kind of happen as we continue to actually do what we're supposed to be doing, you're going to get a lot of really good content. Um, there's a really good story that is pertinent to Nets fans that was done by Sham Sharania, Tony Jones, and I think Sam Amick on the kind of like bubbling dysfunction that's happening in Utah between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert because of COVID-19. So you could actually read the details of that story and then figure out how it will relate to the Nets, which is a transition, Brian. Nice. Ring, ring, ring transition. Um this podcast. So last week, what Brian and I did was we went through our what was it our most desired? Yeah, yeah. We didn't factor in many inhibitions and contractually or otherwise, and and what was going to stop this kind of thing from happening. We even had Carl Anthony Towns on the list, it, Mike, last week. It was like a Panama City spring break of trade right. targets. You know, <laughs> it was crazy. We're just out there. It was crazy. We're drinking blue yeah. drinks. Everyone's having a good we, time. Beer bonging. <laughs> Nikola Jokic, you know, Jaeger bombs. 
Uh, so this podcast is is back to we're out of vacation. We're back home. First day of work. This is the most realistic trade scenarios. The realism pod. The Manet pod, if you would. I googled realism artists, and Manet was a guy who came up. Did you take art history in college, Brian? I, you know, I did not. I did not. I steered clear from that one. Um, so I don't not, know. No, no disrespect, though. I would have liked to in, in, in hindsight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That that should be another podcast that we do when we get really desperate. It's like <laughs> the classes you wish you took in college yeah, that yeah. you ended up not taking because we're all lazy. Um, so this is the realism pod. So what we will investigate here is we have compiled a list of guys who may be available, kind of available. We're going to rank them within a context of most realistic, but also that would fit with the nets, right? Because there's guys who are available but you don't want them for the Nets. Okay, what makes sense for this Nets team? What are we trying to figure also, out? Also, important qualifier. This is a third star conversation, people. Okay? This isn't just another, you know, another body in the depth chart. This is going to be going to have some star power behind it, Mike. So no no cutting quarters with that, okay? And you had a good test case because we're then going to do another another pod next week or two weeks from now, which is best depth pieces, the guys that will sort of fill out the middle of your roster, and you brought up a name that I think is applicable to the depth piece, but not to the third star piece. Mm-hmm. And that person was? It was Paul Millsap, yes. a former star. Former star. But now on the back end of his career and, and has... Has um is out to pasture. No, just kidding. He's he's just not uh, he's not doesn't qualify for the third star conversation. I I love Paul Millsap. I would want him on the team, of course. But there is a clear line, and it's drawn at Paul Millsap. I, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Is that fair? In baseball, yeah. there's the Mendoza line, which I think right. like is the line you have to get to to be above a certain batting average to make sure that you're not a complete failure as a player. We have the Millsap line, the Paul Millsap yeah. line. Um, we should start. How do you want to do it in, in in order of people that we actually most want? Because in this this gets into you know we'll we'll talk about all this because there's a lot of qualifiers on all these names. Like this is and also I would say even per last episode, like Bradley Beal might be sort of on the realistic chart, although he's like super I- ideal in a lot of ways. So like there is it's not to say that like none of the people from last week could happen, right? Let's let's also make sure that that's felt deeply, you know. Um, and I do want to say, so before we get to our list, I wanted to hit one news item that oh. goes along with what we're talking about here. And that is this jazz story that erupted, right? So if you didn't read the story, the basics of it is obviously Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19 or coronavirus. And later Donovan Mitchell did. And there's been a lot of stories, but there's the definitive one by TheAthletic.com, which talks about how, you know, there's a real rift between Mitchell and Gobert for how Gobert acted. He didn't take it seriously. He didn't take what happened. And now Mitchell had gotten it. And, you know, we're seeing how serious coronavirus is. It's not something to joke about. At the time, people felt like maybe it was right to joke about. Obviously, now not the time to joke about. So the second that this story comes out, we are flooded in our DMs, in our Twitter messages about Rudy Gobert. People want Rudy Gobert, Brian. Um... Give me your feelings on I, Rudy Gobert didn't make either of our lists, but give me your feelings on Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I mean, and that was that's an interesting one, because so for me, the only reason that Rudy Gobert didn't make the ship, it's, it's not because he's not a star, because, you know, that's he's defensively as elite as it gets. Um, there's a lot of uniqueness about him. I think, though, for this Nets team. Mike, I'm not sure about the fit, and that's what is just the only thing that's like less appealing to me about about the Rudy Gobert. We've 
We've got our, if we're going to use our utility defensive-minded center, and I'm using air quotes here because for reasons you'll see, DeAndre Jordan has politicked his way into that position. Um, Jared Allen, for all, you know, up to, up to now and, and hopefully going forward is also in that, in that um, in that lineup, in that position, uh, so I don't really understand a, the value in adding another like defensive-minded big man. Not to say that Rudy Gobert is not leaps and bounds beyond both of those two guys. Um, that's one hundred percent true. I think that the way that this team is being constructed, though, there's not a whole lot of primacy being placed on that particular position, especially if we have like Kevin Durant, who plays a lot of five at the end of games to close things out. Did so with the. Uh, with the Warriors, like all the last two, three years. So um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I don't. Do you have a different reason for not including Rudy Gobert? Is it because you think that this story is just sort of, uh, you know, going to be passing a spy and it's just part of like a weird news cycle, or is this real? He's going to be traded, and you just don't want him for reasons I don't know about. No, I mean, I. It's probably I don't know if he's going to be traded, right? I don't want him on the Nets because of what you just illustrated. The oh, Nets, we have the same reasons. The Nets are paying DeAndre Jordan ten million dollars a year. DeAndre Jordan, for all intents and purposes, is the most untradeable Net. That because of his relationship with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I am sure Sean Marks is happy to have DeAndre Jordan. But at the time, if he could not have gotten DeAndre Jordan for ten million dollars a year, he would not have. But he did. Because it was a package deal. That was this little group of friends is the reason why Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's here is also because of how why DeAndre Jordan's here. DeAndre Jordan isn't leaving. There's a reason why Jared Allen's name's in every trade rumor. It's because Der- Jared Allen is going to need a contract at some point. What do you pay him? No one in the NBA, unless if you have Jokic or Embiid, is paying a lot of money for centers anymore. And if the Nets were to suddenly flip, it'd probably take like Dinwiddie and Jared Allen and then a pick to get Gobert. If you flip that to get Gobert, who's making like, I think he's like making $25 million a year or something like that. I'm not, I'm not even really sure. I didn't even look it up because I haven't taken it that seriously. He it, Then you'd be paying $35 million a year for your center position, a position where you could technically get by on like $10 million a year. You could get like two, five million dollars of centers and you'd I mean, be like totally fine. The way that the league is headed, a lot of people don't even play that position anymore. I mean, like it's 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 the least valuable position for a reason. Right. I mean, it's phased out. So and if you made a list of centers that you would want to actually pay, Gobert would be on the list. I think like in my mind, oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. You would want to pay Embiid. You'd want to pay Jokic. And then it's Gobert. And I don't know if I'd really like. We've both defended DeAndre Jordan pretty substantially on the spot. We've defended him from the moment that he signed with this team and continued on through the whole season, even when he was averaging five points a game. You and I had both saw something in his game still that resembled actually an elevated sense of offense for DeAndre Jordan for what I had remembered from him. And obviously, he isn't the impact on defense. Gobert is game-changing defender, no question. He and And if you could put him in a lineup with Kevin Durant – and let's say like a really good wing defender as well, and then you have Kyrie and whoever else is your other guard spot, your defense could be top eight in the NBA, could be top five in the NBA, and that becomes a real force changer for the overall projection of this team. But you don't, you just don't build a team these days with having a $10 million backup center and then a $25, $30 million starting center, and then that's your team. And also at the end of games, you talked about this, at the end of games, it's like 
is Gobert going to be on the floor for you besides defensively? Like you're going to put him out there offense, defense, but he's not going to be on the floor. You're going to want KD at the five. You're going to want then like Torian Prince, Joe Harris, whoever the two guard Garrett Temple and Kyrie Irving is. You're just not going to want Gobert. Like it wouldn't make sense in the grand scheme of things. The other jazz who's involved, the other jazz, jazz, what's the singular for jazz? Just jazz. Jazz. Jazz man. Jazz man. The other jazz man involved in this controversy is Donovan Mitchell, who's very interesting. And mm-hmm. I will I will reveal behind a cur- I don't think Bob Windrum, who just celebrated his birthday last week, will wow, happy birthday, will hate that I portrayed his confidence in this way. But during the Donovan Mitchell draft, which was the draft that the Nets got Jared Allen at twenty two, there was I remember there was some background discussion relayed via net income where net income was saying how the nets were very interested in donovan mitchell this was before the draft this is before we knew who donovan mitchell like truly was and he had mentioned that the nets and sean marks were very interested in donovan mitchell and mitchell goes 13 overall which now obviously seems like like of course an amazing pick but if you go back into the draft express archives 13 overall was like as high as mitchell was going to go now there's some rumors like, oh no, this team above them, we're gonna take him. All that's all the things you now hear. At the time, Donovan Mitchell was like a 13th overall pick, firmly there, and that means he also then could have fallen to the late teens, possibly to 22. So Mitchell was in within the Nets' range of possibility, and of course he goes to Utah and becomes like Dwayne Wade, heir apparent potentially, in Donovan Mitchell. Um. Yeah, and he, of course, there, then there's all the other side factors. Of course, he's from New York. He's a, his dad works for the Mets. He's a big Mets fan. Um, I'm sure he was more of a Yankees fan growing up, or more of a Knicks fan growing up, basketball wise. But and he would be a beautiful addition to this team. But we just have to address the obvious thing in the room is that the Jazz are if they're going to choose between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, they're choosing Donovan Mitchell. There's yeah, like the no question. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and like only if Mitchell's like. I want out of here. I want to go to New York or L.A. And if he makes that kind of like bold declaration or I want to go to Chicago because they'll probably be doing some fun stuff. That is the only way Donovan Mitchell gets to the Nets. If he himself says Rudy Gobert damaged this situation to such a degree and I want to go home. But also then if I'm the Knicks, I'm like going to offer everything I can to get Donovan Mitchell. That's just like a Knicks move. And I don't know if the Nets are going to go all in on Donovan Mitchell, but I felt like it's it just needs to be addressed because there's enough connections there where like we could potentially see it happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So now we go on to after our preamble, we go on to our most realistic trade targets. 2020? What year is it? It up. 2020. All right. So you have top three, I think. Yeah, I have a top four plus a wild card. Yeah, I mean, I have I'm fudging it a little bit. We'll we'll get to it. But yeah, Brian's got some fudge. (laughs) I've got some fudge. (laughs) Let's so this time let's start lower and work our way up to one because because we want to tease to part two. That's where the juicy the juicy goss comes in. Okay, okay. I'll start with my number four. Yeah, please. I'll start with number four. And this is the guy I am most interested in. And of course, he would be a great fit with the team, but it's also the least realistic of the most realistic trade scenarios in my mind. Can can I? But sorry, I hate to do it. You're Please. really about to like launch Please. into it. 
where are we with free agents in this conversation? Okay. Well, you, you tell me trade. Where, where, you, where should we be with free agents? You did a capital T trade there. And I think that like there's a couple of fringish names. I'm not saying any really big um, crazy free agents out there like outside of the ones that are like are un, un, ungettable like the Anthony Davises. Um, but there's some fringe names out there. And I'm wondering if that counts in the, in the context of this conversation towards picking up a third star. Can we, can I fudge it? I mean, that's my fudge. I think you could fudge. Okay. It would be, it would be uh, intellectually dishonest of us. It would be Sean Marks intellectually dishonest of us. Wow. To, to not fudge that because yes, the nets don't have any cap space, but they could create it to get. Yeah. A guy I'm talking who, about yeah. So you in the in chorus with a depth type trade, you know, to clear up some space, right? Because like if you look at what's what's nice about the net situation right now, you look at the roster. There isn't really a bad contract on it, except maybe Torian Prince. So Zach Lowe in his things I like and don't like last week that came out I think on Friday, there was a whole section about Torian Prince, and I it kind of illustrated the some of the stuff that we had been talking about on this podcast here, which is that. So I I don't know if Torian Prince is a negative asset at this point. I still don't think he exactly is a negative asset. When I mean that he's not um like um Gerald Wallace. He's not Gerald Wallace at this point. But he is a guy who had the Hawks were very happy to trade. The Nets give him a good contract, substantial contract, 15 million dollars a year, and he doesn't really perform up to the level that you wanted him to this season. He's still young. He still has shooting ability and athletic ability. So it's not like he's it's impossible for him. And you could certainly see him being in a trade and not being a big negative. But really, Torian Prince, I think, is like the worst contract negative. But everything else is great. Um, So if they needed to dive into free agency, it could be more of like trading Prince's contract plus something else to get him off the team to sign some of the pieces that you may be illustrating Later in this pod. Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. Um, so my number four, as I had said, is is a guy I, de- I, I would want desperately. I love dearly. He is a fantastic basketball player, has been a second banana before in his career and has performed to an extremely high level. And then while moves into the lead guard position, has been ascendant and possibly all NBA this season, though not an all-star, I am talking about Mr. Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal's my number four. What? <laughs> Wait, hold on. We did Bradley Beal last week. What's going on here? <laughs> our last our last week's name's on the table? Our, I had no idea. I'm going James Harden then. What the? F- to go back to our old analogy, it's like when you go to Panama City on spring break and you fall in love. You fall in love. You're drunk. You get fall in love. And then you're, 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 you're messaging over Facebook Messenger. That's how you're doing it. You know, you're messaging over Facebook Messenger saying, hey, uh, I still love you. We should meet up when summer happens, you know, when the semester's over. That's sounds how like it, you're speaking. That's how people. This is up. this is a story that sounds like a real story. Real story. Like, we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, so, Bradley, I think so. The reason why he's four and actually not higher is because the Wizards are not going to trade him this offseason. They're going to trade him either during the season or next offseason which does not align with the Nets timeline. But there is like, let's say, a 10% possibility that the Nets come in with just a gorgeous offer of Lavert, Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, and three first-round picks for Bradley Beal and then like some bench player on the Wizards that the Wizards don't really want but could help the Nets in some form or fashion. 
I feel like the Wizards could be bowled over potentially. The only thing that's going to happen though, if the if the Wizards put up the for sale sign on Bradley Beal, is that I think the Celtics would hard charge in and say, "Here's Jalen Brown, a couple of first round picks, and Taco Fall. Here, Wizards, you can have Taco Fall." Or the Miami Heat come in and say, "We will give you." Um, you know, everything but Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, please give us Bradley Beal. We'll give you everything else we could possibly give you under the sun. Like, I think a lot of teams would dive in. So it's a little less realistic for the Nets, but I still think it's on the realism scale. It's high enough that he deserves to be on the list, but he also deserves to be low enough because it's not super realistic. A hundred percent. You know what? Bullet, consider that bullet dodged because have you seen that defensive real plus minus rating like have you seen it it's it's abysmal it is the third worst in the league 500 out of 503 mike who else was on that because we talked about this who else was all on washington world? wizards top all the last anyone <laughs> the entire wizards roster or <laughs> make up the last 10 names in that thing um no there's a lot of names on there though would you be I mean, who, who, would you be worried if bradley beal was would would it keep you up at night about no, his lack no, of defense you know that I don't even like really believe in the concept of defense at all. In as the, a concept. As a concept. I only just barely believe in it. I mean, and the team, the, the way that it's constructed, I mean, it, we're not going to get, it, this isn't going to be a defensive powerhouse. We need to be average at defense. I'll say that. Like most any any good team, you can get away with being average and, and play at an elite level. But um, if you're going to do that, you're going to want to be very good at offense, which Bradley Beal does. And I have no doubt that he's playing uninspired defense because he just wants to not get hurt he just while playing basketball he, right now <laughs> and, you know that among other things and my operating theory on defense is that there are truly very few players who can impact a game consistently on the defensive end there are your rudy gobert you have rudy gobert level which is like a tremendous center or we have the pat beverly point guard who is just like all he's focused on is hounding the ball handler or you have Kawhi leonard there's really like one Kawhi Leonard, the wing defender smotherer dude. I just think like 85% of the NBA, they're how good they are on defense is dependent of how good the rest of their team is. Maybe not even 80, maybe it's like 95% of the NBA. There may be only 5% of players in the NBA who are like singularly so good on defense that they could be put in any situation. They will always be good on defense. But Bradley Beal, the team is horrific defensively. So he is horrific defensively i've seen him be good on defense and i i i have stressed that i this team is too bad on defense um they had been with Kyrie. actually when Kyrie wasn't playing with the team they had gotten pre- to be pretty good defensively um they had risen up the charts from what they were earlier in the year so like we'll see what happens when Kyrie comes back and what kind of defender kd may be because to be honest his his offense may be back to what kd was pre Achilles, but it could be that his defense is the thing that lags because he had been turning himself into one of the better defenders in the NBA, an under discussed story. So Bradley Beal, he's my number four. It's, it's realistic, but yet not that realistic. It's highly desired, but I think the, there's too many potential roadblocks. It's a timeline roadblock with when the wizards want to do it. And it's a, there's going to be a lot of people coming at Bradley Beal. A lot of people are charging in. It's like that roll of toilet paper at the grocery store that's left. It's just everyone wants that roll of toilet paper. 
you always do this where you, you pick the just like you're again, my face feels smushed against the glass ceiling of realism. I mean, we this was <laughs> that was almost not realistic for even the best trades. And now now my my trades are going to seem incredibly unsexy and lackluster. Are you ready for this? Yes. Because you're about to hear the name Danello Gavinari following <laughs> up Bradley Beal <laughs> to pick him up in free agency, which, by the way, if you are. Um, this is your number three. This is my number. Like, this is my fr- this is my fudge. French, okay. French, French fudge. fourth. Yeah, French fudge. Um, I'm actually actually going to combine my two French fudges um, into a fourth and fifth. So get ready for that. <gasps> Things are going to get very fudgy. Um, so yeah. Anyways, Danilo Gallinari. He's always hurt. We know the memes. But hey, look, he played 68 games last year. Played 55 out of 55 games this year, averaging just under his career best at 19 points per game. Michael on some very elite shooting percentages. Now. I think it's a perfect fit, not only just because he hits on our like stretchiness, bigness, all that stuff, but he's also a sort of non-name, high-efficiency third star. Like he doesn't really come into the into the ego picture in any conceivable way, right? He puts up very good numbers at a you know pretty efficient tick for the most part. I mean, his like two-point field goal percentage, whatever. Who cares? We're talking about shooting threes, uh, which he's been over forty percent for the last two years. 43 the year before. So good. Elite. Elite. I think it's a I think it's a nice, not really a third star, but you're getting a lot of like star output. His numbers are not like wildly different from people who names you'll see up in the in the next couple of rounds. I don't want to give everything away, but the, the numbers are not wildly different from the like star stars that you're gonna see further up this list, Mike. And I like Gallinari because he's of that class of player who so he's been the best offensive player on teams before. But he's also a guy who you knew if he was with Kyrie and KD, at least offensively, like it would unlock certain things that he hasn't been able to do. It would release pressure off of him in certain ways and allow him to be like, like super tall, almost as efficient Joe Harris, right? Like who can then when he receives a pass, if he's wide open, we'll hit that three. By the way, I was looking at. Like, so a big part of what I'm trying to figure out is I think the third star, one key elements of that third star will be how good are they at actually hitting open threes? Because, you know, most of most of the time, this guy is going to be receiving a pass and shooting a catch and shooter. Yes. Catch and shoot bros. So I didn't look up Gallinari, but I had looked up Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal was was mildly impressive. There's guys on the list that will be more impressive to me and less as we continue on. But Gallinari could you can. What's great about him, he has this height and shooting form and ability where, like, pretty much no one could close out and disrupt his shot if he's open and it's coming off of a pass from KD or Kyrie. The, oh, the issue with him is is def- defensively, what you're doing is he would have to play the three, or KD would have to play the three, then the other guy's going to have to play the four, and then you're going to have a center, and it gets a little... Less athletic, it gets a little cloggy, not in a good way defensively. It's not very, it is somewhat switchable, but the Nets would get burned by a team going small ball, I think. Um, now, the closing lineup of DeAndre being off the floor and KD being the five and Gallinari being the four, and then let's say it's Joe Harris, Garrett Temple, Kyrie Irving, that is a sexy, sexy lineup. That's just bomb. That's bombs away right there. That's just you know? everyone is launching threes. It's pick and roll, popping, shooting. It would be beautiful. Now, I don't know. I wonder what how much money 
Gallinari is going to get. That's where my that, realism that, charge to that was, you comes I, in. I, I put that on there, and honestly, I, I I could see it going all over the place. Here's the other thing. This is going to be a weird offseason for a million reasons. Um, so, like, I'm wondering what that does to pricing just in general. Um, like, yeah. I don't think there's – I think there's real decisions that, like, on a administrative need to be made before we can even begin to poke away at that, you know? Um, because there was talk about making alter like some force majeure shit in the in the CBA, things like that. Yeah, and so like if the cap decreases significantly, you know, I think they're going to do everything they can to make sure the cap doesn't decrease a certain like a tremendous amount because that would forever impact you know this off season in a negative way. In much the same way, the cap burst when the new TV contract came in. That was more of a positive to teams because it allowed, of course, Kevin Durant to go to the Golden State Warriors. By the way, uh, a book is, I think, came out today. Ethan Strauss wrote The Victory Machine, which is a book about the making and unmaking of the Warriors dynasty. It's going to be, I think we have to get Ethan on the pod because there's a lot about Kevin Durant in there that I think is quite interesting. Uh, I was reading excerpts and it was delicious. But um, so like that's the whole thing about a free agency. It's like how the Nets, it would be tough to figure out how to become free agent players anyways. And then in this whole crisis situation we're in like who knows what's going to happen but i like i do like gallinari and i think it's realistic but i i think as like you i think it's a fudgy on the bottom of the scale you know it's kind of tough to figure out another fudgy at the bottom of the scale which is mostly about sort of contract you know benefiting ourselves on paper more so than in basketball is kevin love because i think that kevin love at this point is in negative contract value territory he's officially dipped below that so that you when you're making a trade for kevin love you're trying to get other things of value in exchange for things of lesser value um i mean look at how egregious this contract is first of all he's in the first year he's going to be owed 30 million every year until he's 35 restricted free agency in 2023 he's averaging 17 points per game you know who else averages 17 points per game mike you know how how lame that is Names like Fred Van Vliet and Marcus Morris are putting in 17 points per game. Oh, love lame. I mean, those are Fred Van Vliet. I mean, 100. But I'm just saying, like your average, not your average, maybe a middle, mid to low tier NBA conscious person knows who Kevin Love is. Probably may not know your Fred Van Vliet's from your Marcus Morris's. And meanwhile, Kevin Love is is putting up some similar offense. Um, so he is at an all time. His stock is at an all time low. He's 31, which isn't particularly ancient so he's got some like some some days ahead of him and i think that like again how egregious that contract is and for how little output he's being get uh he's he's being he's giving you can you can pry away some other assets from cleveland in a trade in that situation potentially i do like the idea of the nets trying to figure out a way to not just completely sell all their assets in any deal to get the quote-unquote third star because Marx has been very savvy in if he makes a deal, he's always trying to get value back. Like, look at the Allen Crab trade. The Nets traded two first round picks to get rid of Allen Crab, but yet they brought back Torian Prince. Torian Prince didn't play that well this year, which we just talked about, but he is an asset. He's a guy that he starts for an NBA team who's going to be a, who could be a playoff team if we have the playoffs. Not really worth his con- contract right now, but he has the potential to live up to the deal the Nets gave him. The Nets, in some bad GM situations, if you were not a good NBA GM, the Nets wouldn't have pursued trying to get Torian Prince. They would have just been like, we just need to get rid of Alan Crabb. 
We'll give up the two first round picks and not worry about what we get coming back. But Mark's pushed to get Torian Prince and now he's in Brooklyn and playing at a certain level. The Nets continue to have Marks has done that over many deals. He seems to constantly be trying to get at least a little bit of value back, even in a trade where, you know, it feels like, you know, they're they're trying to do it for different reasons than just getting better and better. Like they'd make these little small deals. I'm thinking specifically about the time they got the Knicks pick from the Sixers where they made like whatever they traded to really. I think it was like just Trevor Booker that they traded to the Sixers and they got the Knicks pick. Um, that's why Kevin Love's interesting to me, particularly because the Nets could, I don't even know what the Nets would have to give up. The thing is they do have to match salary. So like you would almost have to give up Dinwiddie and Torian Prince, right? Torian Prince is going to be your big one. Yeah. So, and that's tough. That's a really tough pill to swallow. Um, and that's why you would be hopefully getting some kind of you know, draft considerations back from, from Cleveland and that thing, because it is, I think it is a negative. And that's also to say it's a weird negative trade value because I think Kevin Love is not at all like, you know, fully spent or whatever. He's just in a really bad situation and he doesn't like playing for that team anymore. Uh, I think he'd be, I mean, come on, we're going to get Ty Lue, you know, run it back. We're going to run it back <laughs> with Kevin Durant instead of LeBron James. Um, and he's already like played, he's been domesticated. He's a house cat. He's played the third star role <laughs> for, for years and we don't, he doesn't have to learn that anymore. There's no ego. His ego's already buried in the ground. So that's good. That's perfect. For, that's what we need. If any NBA player is like a house cat, uh, it is <laughs> yeah, Kevin Love. Yeah. He is the yeah. most house cat of all house cats. Yeah. And so there are negatives, right? Like, so that contract is now a bad contract. Kevin Love is not who he was. He is not like he is somewhat of a problem in a locker room. I mean, he was a problem in Cleveland this year distinctly. And like, I'm sorry, man, but you did sign this contract with a team that you knew was going to be bad. Like you knew it was going to be bad, but you wanted the money, which I under that's what I would do. I would also act the same way. So I'm not saying I that's why no 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 teams are trading for Mike Smeltz. They don't want Mike Smeltz on their team, you know? I'm a bad cancer. apple. A locker room cancer. I am not Garrett Temple. I am a bad yeah. apple over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like he as he's been the third star. Um, I like that. But in the ends of games, or really for most of the game, so like most of the targets are actually fours, are power forwards who can't play the five for the most part. And just like the fit of Kevin Love and Kevin Durant is a little fishy to me. It's, it's less my issue with it. It's like it's sort of similar to the Gallo thing. It's just he's like distinctly less mobile. And in our in the beautiful imagined basketball geometry system in my brain, I feel like this is a very tall and mobile offensive juggernaut. And Kevin Love is becoming more and more cement footed, um, which like whatever. It's not. I mean, you could do worse. You could do better. Um, but I think yeah, it's it's interesting for those reasons. I mean, I I don't think it's like the most optimal fit. But look, I mean, he's he's still getting tons of rebounds. He's like, you know, a weird, a weird fit maybe. But you know, I think I think really, his numbers are being just driven way down from usual because he's just depressed and not playing for a team that he wants to play for. Right, and I think that's true. And I there's some obviously I don't know the Kevin Love Kyrie Irving relationship, but I do like some element of like a guy coming into the situation knowing what they're going to get from Kyrie Irving, like knowing that okay, this is how Kyrie acts. This is how he interacts with teammates. I understand that as Kevin Love. So that fit if they have had a good relationship or a decent relationship in the past makes sense. I like the idea that you said, which is like, 
if the let's okay, it would have to be Torian Prince and Spencer Dinwiddie or Torian. I mean, God, Torian Prince and Karis LeVert to get Kevin Love. You would have to get back like the Cavs pick this year and something else kind of nice to do that. I would think no matter what the Cavs are saying, the Cavs have acted like Kevin Love is not a negative asset. They've yeah, continually acted right. like they don't have to dump him and give up something. But but you could sell it to your fan base in some way and saying, hey, we're going to get rid of Kevin Love. Plus, we're getting Spencer Dinwiddie, who's almost an all star. But Dinwiddie's kind of a bad fit for them. So they probably demand Karis yeah. Avert. Right. And Torian Prince. Um, it's tough. It's not an obvious, not an obvious deal and, for sure. And I think the Cavs would likely be willing to give up. Could the, be a third teams involved, Mike. So it, it, this is a question for you. And then we're going to wrap up part one and dive. Then you guys, all you guys come back for, on Thursday for part two, where we're going to hit our top two, most likely trade targets, most realistic trade targets. But my question to you as Brian playing Sean Marks. This draft is allegedly a very bad draft. We also know the draft process will be virtual. Like there's not going to be a combine most likely. You're not going to be able to bring guys in for all these famous workouts that we all love to talk about that like completely forever alter the fabric of NBA history when a guy comes in and shoots against air, um, even though we always technically shoot against air because there is not a path of humans in the way of the guy shooting the ball. In the air. You're always shooting into the air. I just want to let everyone know that. But bad draft, bad draft process. The, let's say the Cavs were to give up. The deal is Kevin Love plus our first round pick this year, which will be, be in the top five for Karis LeVert and Torian Prince. Let's say that's the deal. And then the Nets maybe trade Jared Allen in a separate deal because you wouldn't want to. Okay. If you're Sean Marks, would you in fact not push for the pick this year? I would want the pick next year. I don't know anything about the draft next year, but I hope I'll have more certainty and I hope that the draft is better. We're told that the draft next year is way better. Yeah, I mean, that stuff, I mean, there's a there's a meme of the draft. Draft is good one year, not good the other year. Like, how accurate that is is sort of up for debate, I would say, in general. Um, maybe. I mean, sometimes it's just, it's they, they, the pundits get it right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I would be less... I would be less preoccupied with it if it was just the like doing it remote. I think the remoteness is actually gives you opportunity, especially for people like later later rounds to kind of just hit hit on jackpots, you know, randomly because I feel like there's like a lot of due diligence that's just not going to get um, figured out in time, and some good prospects will slip. I think that that's I think that's where it happens. So I, to to your to your point, Mike, I think that you're right that I maybe would kick it kick the can down the road for a year in that situation. One interesting thing to think about also is like most likely the Nets would be making this draft pick too, right? Like, so the Warriors made the D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins trade to get the Wolves pick for next season, not even this draft, because they're going to use that pick to trade for, I guess it would be a fourth star for considering Draymond Clay and Steph all stars. I They're all, let's say they're all stars. Um, so they're going to use that pick to trade for someone. They're 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 going to use maybe this year's draft pick to get um, a really good young prospect, and then next year's they'll use in a trade, or maybe they'll flip flop that situation. The Nets by picking up Kevin Love, let's say they get this first round pick or the or the Cavs first round pick for next year. Then the Nets take that Cavs first round pick plus the Sixers pick this year, which will be nineteen. Plus, and Nets another first round pick also could be next year too. 
And then you have three first round picks to trade right now to maybe get a fourth star, Brian. That's how you force multiplier there by taking on Kevin Love's contract. That's the linchpin right there. We should do I think we just we just kick this wide open, Mike. The only problem with that is that you're so you're paying Kevin Love X amount of dollars. You're paying Kyrie, you're paying KD. You'd have to find sort of the perfect fourth guy to add to the team who's on a cheap deal that you could get in right now. And Donovan Mitchell, we had talked about him. He's kind of the only guy that that would fit because Ben Simmons has money coming up right now. Um, pretty much everyone else is already on like a really substantial contract. So you could you have to bring on someone who's on a rookie deal that already the team is like, we need to get them off our, our squad right now. And really, Donovan Mitchell is the only person that could maybe kind of apply to. But if the Nets could, in a way, turn Lavert and Torian Prince into Kevin Love, not that great, but good, could be good, and a really high first-round pick value in not this draft, but next draft, then the Nets are playing with three first-round picks in the next two years that they could really put together a nice big package for, put that with Spencer Dinwiddie. And then you're pulling in this crazy pot of assets to throw at a crescendo of assets. Bradley Beal. And then that's <laughs> yeah. how that's how the wow. Nets get Bradley Beal and Kevin Love and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That's my head exploding. Like you're welcome. We did it. You're, yeah. you're welcome, Sean Marks. We're here for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, should we plug the next episode, the part two? Yeah. So part two is going to be exactly the same concept, uh, but we are going to actually do our higher tiers, which is I have still two choices and a wild card choice. Then our two choices, are choice number one, choice number two. And then Brian has his own choices as well. Um, please listen to that. Please subscribe. Five stars. We want to have to have them at BKGS on Twitter and check us out again. This will be dropping Tuesday. The next pod will be Thursday. Have fun. Thanks, everybody. Talk soon. Bye-bye.